Hi, this is Diana Munoz. I am a rising sophomore at Colorado College, and I'm currently pursuing a film and literature degree in the English department with a feminist and gender studies minor. I'm from Houston, Texas, and today I'm going to be talking to you about this organization called Las Migras. Las Migras began primarily focusing on white lesbian women, but then soon expanded to mostly focus on these migrants within these spaces. And I feel like it's one of the most important organizations that we've talked to throughout, just because of its focus on intersectionality and multiple aspects of identity and the way in which these aspects of identity can work into the creation of community and how important the creation of community is for activism, not in the traditional sense of the word, but just everyday activism. And something that we really discussed within our session was the visibility of activism and how that is a huge hindrance to activist organizations and especially people of color and I feel like just the acknowledgement of this sort of behind the curtain activism that Las Migras is really striving for in building these communities and creating spaces for these people who identify intersectionally as migrants who are really coming here with no sort of solid footing to establish themselves on is just really one of the main points of this course and this sort of like hidden narratives. It's just like this hidden activism, this hidden aspect of community building that you would never think of looking towards or exploring. We're in our third and final week, and we only really have one class session left. So what I can say that I'm excited about learning is mostly just hearing everybody's reflections and hearing how, even just now, just reflecting on the class and seeing how all these different aspects of community and all these people who identify so differently and tie themselves to these different organizations all work into this idea of intersectionality and this idea of activism for marginalized peoples and the way that this activism can really just create a space of acceptance and a space where these people feel accepted. The first memorable moment I chose is what I guess we initially began talking about which is the origin of these structures that exist in society today and something that Poon really emphasized was their post-colonial past and their post-colonial origins. Post-colonial processing, um, the processing only happened to a certain extent. So what happened is that the entire generation after World War II got uh, trained in school, what happened to Jewish people was wrong, which is 100% true. The thing that they didn't mention is what caused two world wars. Why are they called world wars in the first place if it happened here? It's because Europe couldn't agree amongst themselves how to divide the rest of the world between themselves. (laughs) 
nobody ever questioned the notion of how up that is. So nobody ever wondered, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have tried to, you know, like steal everything from everywhere and conquer the entire world. That was never an issue. <laughs> so up until today, there are generations of people who genuinely don't understand what the problem was. They know, okay, killing Jewish people was wrong, and that was it, and we stopped doing that, so things are fine now. They aren't, because the colonial histories that were implemented several hundred years ago never left. Uh, they only changed in terms of shades. So, for instance, if we look at so pretty much any place that, would co that was colonized, it never happened that Europeans said, oh my god, what did we do? That was so terrible of us. Let's go home and give them money to apologize. That never happened. People just took everything they could, went back home, and usually implemented a structure that still benefits Europe, as we can witness still nowadays. For instance, I spent the last 10 years in the Netherlands, fun to go to Amsterdam for a week or for a weekend. I don't recommend living there at all. Um, simply because they are even worse at post-colonial processing than Germans are, and Germans aren't good at it at all. Mm. Uh, but it's not by definition because they're dumb, it's because we talk about the people, we talk about people here who are raised in a system that didn't educate them properly about their own history. If we had educational programs here, where we go to the children and say, look, we don't hate your grandparents as people, but your ancestors did a lot of very problematic things and trained that and taught them about that as much as we did about, for instance, Jewish history in Germany, they would slowly start to develop an understanding of where the money comes from. How come Germany is on top of the, of the world in terms of money and finance? I chose this moment within the session because something that is oftentimes not considered when studying systems of oppression and the effects that they have on marginalized people and especially marginalized people that choose to identify themselves intersectionally like those people whom Las Migras was created for is where these systems are manifesting from and how they have come to exist in society and why they exist. The way that Poon described it is that these systems of oppression are deeply rooted in cultural mechanisms of oppression that stem from post-colonial processing. And the socio-political repercussions of these countries' colonial past were never confronted. So the inherently racist, classist, and homophobic structures that facilitate the oppression of marginalized people still exist. Children are being raised within an inherently flawed and oppressive system that, because of white guilt, does not educate them on their own history. These children don't know the origin of their privilege and their positioning to be European exceptionalism and colonialism on which their country was built. And the origin of the world wars, both of them, as he pointed out, was powerful European nations dividing the world between themselves. European exceptionalism and nationalism, the way that it is being used in society today to oppress and marginalize these people is the clearest modern day manifestation of the, the white man's burden that colonialism used as a justification for what they were doing. And the echoes of this colonial past can be seen in migrants, in the plight that migrants experience that stems from the traditional like colonial division of the world and the world's current borders and the divisions 
that are a result of this colonial history. In fact, Germany's current economic structure, as he brought up, is a capitalist like market economy that's supposedly a democracy. And this capitalizes off the suffering of marginalized peoples from systematically exploited countries that are forced to run to their oppressors for survival. When he gave the example of the German weapon industry, he highlighted the ways in which German weapon manufacturers were the providers of the weapons that allowed for the war on Syrian and Islam countries. And then when confronted with the consequences of their actions, AKA all these refugees, the German government doesn't want them in their country the same way they didn't want the original migrants who came to work in their country. And these migrants and these immigrants are the ones who actually built this country and made Germany what it is today. The second memorable moment that I chose was taken from the pretty long discussion that we had as a group on just people of color and people of color's positioning within these roles of activism, and especially people of color, like I said, who choose to identify intersectionally and feel like they need a community and they need just a place of belonging, such as provided by Las Migras. Loving each other, I think, is a radical act of resistance. If we take good care of each other, we're going, because we're not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be either completely exploited or dead. I've never felt safer than with a poor auntie who was like, this is your home, you know? Which is why I think of space like this. Like, people know it's like, it's home, you know? Not safe, like I said, I got beat with a belt. That's not cool, I don't do it to my kids. <laughs> but it's home because you know that the person loves you, you know? Exactly, and I couldn't agree more with you. Activism is oftentimes defined as demonstrations or, you know, like signing a petition. Actual activism, I agree, is uh, something completely else, especially when it comes to radicalness. I think it's very radical to bake a cake for somebody who wouldn't get one otherwise. For instance, the suicide rate among trans people is humongous. Many of the trans people here and everywhere are completely rejected by their families and nobody talks to them um, and cares about them. For these people, it can make a life or death different, life or, yeah, literally life or death different, if you are the friend who thinks about them. Who makes a cake, who every now and then checks in, says, hey, well, how are you doing? Um, same goes for your friends if they're poor. If you know that your friends are poor, um, it makes more sense to take a big bag of groceries, if you visit them, than a CD of Mozart. You know? And in everyday life, it's just, you know, because I hear you, like, if I, if I say marriage, of course it scares people off because it's a big thing, but there's a gazillion small things we can do. We meet people in everyday life. We can take perspective. It doesn't have to be... Like, it, it's really just a matter of empathy. If we know that our single female, uh, single, single female friend who, is, uh, who has three children is working herself to death, as we said, it's super helpful <coughs> if somebody takes care of their children. <laughs> it's super radical as well. And those are just a few examples for everyday activism, you know, things that you can do. And it's up to you to determine what you can and what you can't do. So if you say marriage is too much, I can't handle that, or I'm scared, Okay, let's, let's hope that there are other people who will. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you can't do anything. Because that's the good thing. We all have a certain range 
uh, of things we can do. Uh, in Germany, we call it Handlungsbildung. There's a scope of freedom of action, freedom, degree, of, degree of freedom. For people of color and for especially displaced migrants to exist within this community and within this country means to be inherently oppressed and inherently marginalized because of these systems. And something that we discussed that I really appreciated was the idea that the simple act of existence and the simple act of creating community and family and being able to just exist and to live like a prosperous life I guess is within itself an act of resistance because something that Catalina brought up when we were at the Jolie Ba session was they say you don't have culture or they say you don't have art so you give you show them art you create these spaces, you create a place for your culture to exist. She even said she had to create her own Africa. And I feel like that's a big part of like what Las Migras does because a lot of people of color's best work is not activism in the traditional sense. And when you exist as a person of color, especially a person of color that chooses to identify intersectionally in a country that has such a history of colonial oppression and just oppression of marginalized peoples, your best bet to actually make a change is to stay close to home, like he said, and to just radically exist. Even with Hitler, when he was trying to exterminate the Jews, one thing he did was he took all of their cultural capital, he took their art, he took their religious texts, and he tried to completely obliterate them. There was the huge book burnings. And because the way to obliterate a people is to just completely destroy their culture. So the creation of these cultural spaces and the creation of these communities is within itself an act of radical activism. Something that Poon pointed out that Las Migras does is they do psychosocial counseling and they try and match whoever is coming in, whether that be a specific type of ethnicity or a specific type of person who chooses to identify themselves as trans or gay or lesbian or anything like that. They try and match that person to the appropriate social counselor. They work on anti-discriminatory and anti-violence work within these intersectional communities. And for people of color, especially poor people of color, being able to just identify intersectionally is in and of itself a privilege. And people of color don't have the same sort of privilege of individuality that people, that white people do because anything that a person of color does is automatically reflected back onto their community as a whole. And these communities are made of such different and diverse people. I am here with John Capers, a rising sophomore at Colorado College and a political science major with a minor in German from Chicago, Illinois. And Anna Wormuth who is a rising senior majoring in organismal biology and ecology from St. Louis, Missouri. All right, so the first thing that I wanted to ask you guys is what were your initial impressions of Poon and Les Mises as an organization? 
I can start. I felt very um, focused and engaged in that space because Kern was just a very like engaging speaker. He really introduced the organization with this kind of like historical monologue of the influences of power and authority and migration in Berlin and like tracing um, patterns through stories and I felt really drawn to that and he then he like included little parts of like psychology that he knows as a psychologist in those stories about like attitude and behavior and just the way that people organize themselves socially and I found that to be a really great precursor to him talking about the kind of counseling that they do with their um, their clients which are a lot of refugees and people of color so I found it a really cool space to be in. Yeah I can definitely second that and I'm going to speak more on the physical space um, that we had this conversation in. Um, it was a very small office and you know, everything felt really personal when you were there. Like, you never felt that it was, like, just someone doing their job talking to you. you. It gave that impression that once you enter this building, you are a person and the people you're talking to is another person who wants to help you. And, like, just a rumor in that we had our big group conversation where it had, like, even a bed in the corner, an open window with a beautiful scenery, a beautiful sight of the neighborhood and just having all that light and like just the envi- just the atmosphere just made it very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that really helps this organization um, do the things that um, Poon described and that Anna mentioned, um, which I feel makes it even more impactful to be in that space. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I never felt like anyone was just doing their job when they were talking to us, you know? And especially when he was talking about how they try and pair people with people who are, like, not necessarily the same, but the same as them, you know? Like, if it's a trans person coming in, they try and get a trans counselor. If it's a Turkish person, they try and get, you know, a Turkish counselor. And it's very individualized. Alright, so my second question for you guys is to think about like the way that Las Migras was primarily created in response to the plight of migrant workers in Germany, and do you see any parallels in the U.S.? Hmm, good question. Yeah, because you're, because, mm, because the biggest thing with this is like recognizing how there are groups in the United States that work against, um, that work with migrant um, families and individuals. And, you know, I, I guess in a similar sense, we don't necessarily hear about them too often. Really, at least in my experience, I can't really recall any organizations, even though I know they exist, I can recall them by name that you know that they do this work and same thing with this organization is that if we did not take this class and if Heidi did not choose to do this then we may not have even heard of any migrant efforts to help these individuals and families through this process. Yeah I totally agree and I also think that as we talked about in their space yesterday we um 
we see this kind of community building and, and person to person counseling happening in spaces that aren't necessarily officially called that or called an organization. So like the church, for example, or like a religious space, I think of in the United States when I think about where this kind of work happens, I think of like mosques and synagogues and like places where people gather already in their community because they, they um, come from the same place or have that in common. So I think it's important to, th to realize um, that it can take many different forms. But yeah, you're right. And it also, and speaking of like intersectionality, I think it's interesting that Les Migrat, like came out of being like a white feminist, or I'm sorry, like a, a counseling center mostly for white lesbians and then transforming into a space for like all queer people, like queer people of color as well, to, to be there and receive help, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with both of you. And something that like I was thinking about during this session was the day before actually when the man who was doing the walking tour, the walking tour on queer people and he said something like a lot of these migrants that you see living in these communities were here on work visas, were here to do work and helped build Germany into the country that it is today. And that's very similar to the way that it is in the US where all these immigrants have made the US the way it is, but people who legally reside in the US do not want them there. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a continuous conflict between um, I guess the knowledge of how a country is developed and who is responsible beyond people saying we initiated this project. Like who are the workers doing that project though? Like people really give the credit to like these intelligent individuals and politicians um, who say, like who has these big ideas and who wants to implement them, but there's not really credit given to the workers who make those projects come to real life. Yeah, and a lot of people I think pointed out pretty well, at least for me, that most people don't know where Berlin's diversity comes from and it really was like the bringing in of migrant populations for reconstruction, but then Kuhn kept reiterating that even though the government intended for everyone to leave afterwards, nobody really left, like so many people stayed and so that's why you have um, such a diversity as Berlin today. Um, my next question actually takes into account this reading from this week where it said that hate crime activism exists on a terrain that is fundamentally racialized against hated populations. And I was just wondering if you guys, especially you coming from inner city Chicago, see any parallels in the U.S. with hated populations that are oftentimes, you know, the scapegoats of these hate crimes. Mm. Well, from my experience in terms of gun violence in Chicago, which has been a big issue, a lot of people will say that we need to support these communities and stop this gun violence. Yet they go, in a, go at it in a way that's targeting and making these groups of people look bad. So like on the news, um, on a local news channel in Chicago, what you're more likely to see instead of people saying we need to you know, stop this gun violence, we need to stop this, they, all you're going to see is you're generally a black man or some person of color who is affiliated to some gang 
who has killed this number or so people, who has done this and that crime in the past. It's, it, it puts the people in an image that, yes, it's bad, but they're bad people, so as such, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they don't put it in a way of, this is a bad situation, where dangerous. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a bad situation, and they don't say that we need to make these people communities better. Mm-hmm. They say that no, these are just bad people. But no, they're not bad people. They're forced to the situation. They're forced to go into gangs because they can't depend on the current um, government systems to help them be uplifted and, and empowered. Like. It's a definite struggle to say that, oh, this is bad, but as such, because it's being done by bad people who are usually black people, then it's just it's just confusing. Yeah. Makes it hard to make it a good thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think this connects to how migrants here in Germany also, and people of color in Germany, have been blamed for like economic crises as well, like when stock market crashes have happened, as we've learned this week migrant populations were really scapegoated for that as you said Diana and so personally I hadn't read about or known of like the anti-gay hate crime like focus being put on on people of color as like just another way to criminalize them Um, and I think it has a lot to do with just like evading any kind of white guilt at all or or recognizing hate among white people towards any any marginalized group so yeah, I think if we look at history, it, it almost makes sense that people of color are going to be the ones that are targeted for like any kind of what is seen as a crime, you know? Because even hate crime is like a phrase that you could put put crime in there, and then you could pin crime on any marginalized group that you want as a person in power. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting too about the way that they paint these you know, victims of hate crime versus, like, the perpetrators of hate crime, especially when it comes to, like, marginalized peoples or people of color, especially here. I know they have this thing with the Muslim population where they don't want to allow refugees from Islam countries into Germany, and a huge proponent of that I was reading in the reading from this week is the queer community because Muslims are supposedly anti-gay due to their like religious beliefs or something like that when gay Muslims do exist and so it's just interesting to observe you know the divides between these groups despite the number of people that operate within them intersectionally. And my next question is actually going off of a question that you asked Anna in the session I guess that we had and Heidi was actually the biggest answer of this question when she said that you will never be able to almost I guess effectively do activism because of your positioning and like who you are so I just wanted to ask you guys do you think that positioning and the way that we're perceived as individuals. Do you believe that? How do you believe that affects the effectiveness? Affects the effectiveness of activist work. Well, I think what Heidi said was a really important point, being that who you are is with you all the time, and not just who you are now, but who you have been. And so, 
my identity as an American citizen and my American passport and my travel privilege and my white privilege don't leave me ever in my lifetime. And so that has to be incorporated into what kind of activism I do. And I have, you know, I'm going to be forever aware of those things. So, um, yeah, it, it really is there to guide an individual on what's helpful and what's harmful. Um, because Heidi said, you know, you'll bring harm wherever you go when you're traveling, but you'll bring other things too. So I think me knowing that and always keeping that in mind will help me decide when I'm, you know, yeah, when I'm needed and, and what I can do for marginalized people and not for myself. Um, and when it's, when it's not appropriate or when I should do something different. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, the way that I see it is in terms of effectiveness of activism, you'll get different degrees no matter where you go. Uh, but I think there's a very distinct um, effectiveness when it comes to your home country versus when you go to a different country. So for instance, um, us being Americans, us being legal citizens, us having gone to Colorado College and being quote unquote leaders of our community, like we have some power to be the most effective at our home. Just like Poon said, like if you could stay home and work to build your community, he suggests that you would you should do that because you'll be way more effective. Right. And you'll be able to do a lot more because you have so much power given to you just because you were born here. Yeah, that was really helpful for me because I've thought about this a lot. And he also mentioned family, which is probably like where I get the most stuck when it comes to my activism, just because a lot of my family members are close to being on the same page with me about a lot of things, but even when they're not, I, I struggle to really communicate with them about um, my perspective. So yeah, I think it's important to actually work on that instead of me feeling like I can just have my chosen family in other places, which is still true but to know that because I care about them anyway and because I care about anti-racist work, I really should talk to them more and be per persistent and not get emotional. Or really, like, I think asking more questions is going to be important for me to actually understand how they think and not tell them how to think, you know, because they won't be re receptive to that. Um, and it's helping me realize also that Poon was saying, staying close to home and keeping kind of your roots down um, I can see myself going back to St. Louis and doing food justice work there because I know it's needed. So, yes, there's possibilities to do it in a lot of places, but I think he's he was, had a good point about keeping that familiarity there and having a history of the place and the community. Yeah, and the, the biggest thing that Heidi brought up about knowing what harm you bring with you, but also the good, um, it also even encourages the part where you could go you could go to these other communities and other countries and do your best to help. And that's a very important thing to realize that positivity that you bring could and should outweigh the negativity that you bring. Because as someone who wants to move to Germany, I have to recognize who, how I am viewed here as a, as a foreigner, as an American, but also as someone who off the bat will be identified as black mm -hmm. and for me I also have to know that through these other organizations that we met that I can find a way to help the community yeah. despite not being necessarily born here mm -hmm. 
and it's it's very impactful for me as a person because as someone who wants to be a politician one day and someone who does care about community and empowering the community and having equity and all this it's it's very comforting to know that I can do this elsewhere because you know the United States is a wonderful country and I love it because it's my home like it's it's my home I have no other home besides the United States besides Chicago Mm -hmm. because that's where my family is Mm -hmm. But it's also a sense that there's other work for me to do out there. There's other education, too, I think is kind of your point. And that's yeah. why I love this class so much is because we're here with an educational purpose. And we're building networks, like, just by entering a space and then leaving and not really, like, asking for much except that we all talk and, like, learn from each other. And I think that that's really incredible and a great way to build community in a lot of places. Yeah. I really like the point that you said Poon brought up when he said, you know, you start with your family, you start with, like, where you're from, and one thing that really stuck out to me was when he was like, well, what about your racist uncle, you know, like, when are you going to talk to him at the Thanksgiving dinner table, you know, and I think that's, like, why Las Migos is really important, because it emphasizes building these communities as a form of resistance, and it, it emphasizes, you know, like, starting small and just trying to create a space where people can exist despite these different identities that they have. Yeah. Did you guys have any questions or anything you wanted to discuss? Mm. Oh, um, well, how would you guys describe your reaction to, um, to the way that Heidi and Poon um, gave the answer of activism in a way, being something very invisible but also being something visible um, in certain cases. So, like, how do you guys, like, respond to that? Because that I, was very interesting. Yeah, I liked that because I was reminded of kind of a... It was a half-plot class that I took at CC about activism, and there was some sort of material that kind of broke it down into ways of thinking about it that were really interesting to me so everyday activism was a category and then you also had institutional activism and two others that I can't think of at the moment but the everyday activism is kind of what came up in our conversation which was watching people's kids cooking together letting people stay over uh, just outdoor events with your community all of those like smaller acts of kindness and and ways of surviving I think was the main point is that our existence is resistance and so if you're like really fostering community by feeding people and looking after their kids it's like yeah the kind of work that's not flashy whatsoever but it's still really wonderful and necessary yeah just random acts of kindness Mm -hmm. things like that yeah (laughs) protecting people from neo-nazis and other fascists (laughs) uh the kkk they're coming out yeah protect them (laughs) all right well Thank you guys. This has been really interesting. I'm really glad that I got to get you guys' opinions and viewpoints on this. Glad to be here. Yes, very glad to be here. I love this conversation. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to thank John and Anna again for participating in this discussion. They both gave really unique and really insightful perspectives on very complicated and multifaceted issues. Um, Poon also in Las Migras and even Heidi's insights were especially a great help.
And that marks the end of this podcast. Thank you for listening to me. And yeah.